this morning will be in Genesis in chapter 20. I've still got my bookmark in Luke chapter 2 from the other night. It's kind of uh, weird having two services in one week, uh, but when I became a believer, uh, that was actually normal for me. Every week there was two services. Uh, we were studying Numbers in the morning, and we were studying Romans, sorry, Romans on Sunday mornings and Numbers on Sunday nights, and I could not get enough of it. And so I'm thankful to have two services in one week, and at the same time, uh, it's a little different, hard to get into that rhythm. So um, just a couple of announcements on, uh, I believe it's Wednesday, January the 30th at 5.30 p.m. We'll have a youth night here. There'll be games. I've heard rumors that there might be some food, and, um, and there's going to be some competition. And so in case any of you are competitive in any form or fashion, uh, we might have some competition here on, on, on the 30th. And so uh, be ready for that. I believe that that's uh, going to be a youth night, so I think I'll come over here and watch them destroy each other at competition and uh, act like I like board games, even though I don't. I just don't. I'm not the fun guy. So anyway, um, Genesis chapter 20 this morning, and we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Imagine that. We're still in the life of Abraham. Uh, the Bible is uh, basically laying out. He started... God started by um, creating all that we know. And he, in Genesis chapter 3, revealed that there's going to be a redemption plan, even though Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they were separated from God by their sin, and they're going to die outside of the garden without him. And God's always pursuing us to buy us back from the slavery of sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, right after the sin took place, God gives good news he pronounces a curse, and he also pronounces a blessing, that through the seed of the woman, redemption would come, and the seed of the woman is what we've just celebrated at Christmas, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. This will be a sign unto you. Behold, the virgin shall bring forth a child. By the way, that's quite the sign, because a virgin cannot bring forth a child unless God's involved. And so this child that come from the Holy Spirit and yet before we get there, we go to this one family that God chooses to bless and make a blessing to the entire world. And from Abraham's descendants will come the Messiah. And so in Genesis chapter 20, what we're going to find is that old habits die hard. And if you don't think so, look at the life of Abraham. So as we start in Genesis 20, it says there, that Abraham journeyed from there to the south. Uh, where is there? Well, he's going to journey to the south from where he was, and he was up by, um, I believe that it was um, Hebron. He was dwelling in the trees, uh, the, the Mamre trees. Probably saying that totally wrong. It's probably the coolest tree ever. But he was dwelling among these trees in Hebron. And during his time there, he had had many interactions with God. God showed up to him as three persons. Imagine that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, God also pronounces a blessing upon him. He says, hey, I know that you're barren. I know that you're 90 to 100 years old, but I'm going to give you a child, and you will name him Isaac. And guess what? Abram, Abraham, 
and Sarai, Sarah, they both laugh about this. And so God, in his sense of humor, names the child laughter. Now, Isaac is the promised son, and yet while he was there, feeling like the time of bearing children had gone past him, he had to be tested. And during that time of testing, while God was preparing him to have this son, he tries to help God out. And he says, you know, his wife says to him, hey, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, lie with her and produce a child, and then she'll bear the child on my knees, and then we'll call it good. But God said, I, I, I'm rejecting this son. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an impossible child while you're well past retirement age. While you're well past the age of giving birth, I'm going to do the, this will be the sign to you, Abraham. I will bring forth a son from you when it makes no sense that that would be possible. It seems like a theme in scripture that God likes to take impossible situations and make them happen so that when it happens, we can't boast in our own strength. Kind of like salvation. That salvation is a free gift of God. It's the grace of God. Lest any one of us would be able to go, hey, I did it. God says, you're not going to be able to do it. Here, here's a law. Here's my law. And you can't fulfill any of the commandments. You can't fulfill all of the commandments. And so you cannot be saved on your own. That's the, there's multiple themes that God's the same yesterday in the Old Testament today. And he will be the same forever. And so he relishes in doing things that seem impossible and then in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham has been journeying from the south. And I'm going to turn real quick to Genesis chapter 12, because in Genesis chapter 12, God made promises to Abram. In Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country. Get out from your family. Get out from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth, just to be specific, he says, the entire earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and they went and what it says there in verse 9 in chapter 12 is Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. So in the meantime, it's almost like there's these parenthetical stories from that statement all the way through chapter 19 where there's these events taking place. And there's significance to the, these events. But then in chapter 20, we continue the journey south. We continue this nomadic transfer of Abram from uh, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, he comes into Bethel and he's in all these different places, but he's still heading south because God's going to show him this land that he won't actually get to be the owner of, but his descendants will possess it. His descendants will take it over. And so as he's journeying south, he ends up going to a place there. He dwelt between Genesis 20 verse 1, Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This should parallel something you've read before in Genesis. 
Yes, if you're thinking, hasn't Abraham done this before? And didn't it go bad for him? The answer to that question is yes and yes. But God protected him. But here's the deal. Abraham is just like you and I. He, he's, he's worn habits into his life so deeply that when he gets in a default thought, in a default space, when things happen to him, he goes back to what his default settings are. And that is this habit that he's made in his life to tell people, because he's afraid they'll kill him for his beautiful wife, She's not my wife, she's my sister. What's interesting about that is that by this time, Sarah's 100 years old. So she must have been really good looking. Or I guess another theory could be this king is trying to make marriage with Abraham. He's heard stories of Abram's life and he knows that God's blessing is upon him. So he's trying to make a strategic political move and marry someone from Abram's family so that they won't be cursed by their presence. They won't try to weed them out of the land. I don't think that. I think Abraham is concerned for his life because he knows what beauty his wife beholds. Not just an outward beauty, but a godly beauty that we read about in Proverbs 31. I believe that she was a woman of such character, and that character also was shown in her personal beauty that kings of the world wanted Abraham's wife. He was already a blessed man. Uh, take away the camels. Take away the descendants. Uh, take away the fields and the gold. Abraham had something beautiful in his home that other kings wanted. He was already a blessed man. And so that to be said, he's afraid for his life. And so what we'll find out in verse 7 it, where it says there, um, now therefore restore the man's wife for he's a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die. That's not the verse I wanted. Forget that. I didn't read that. Re rewind. Uh, we're going to do on demand here and I'll just go along with the, the text. Verse three. So God came to Abimelech in a dream. So notice what happened in verse two. He's, he's made this practice, she's my sister, and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, immediately sends for and takes Sarah. This is the same thing that happened when there was a famine in the land, and they went to Egypt, and the Pharaoh heard of the beauty of Abram's wife and said, send for her, I want her in my harem. I want her to be one of my wives. And so here it's no different. As soon as he says she's my sister, Abimelech sends for her and takes her to be his own. But God, verse 3, came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Or, in our modern day vernacular, it might be, You're dead, man. Y you've sinned against Abraham because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is already a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? He starts pleading with God. Notice that God's speaking to this pagan king, and this man is speaking to God in this dream, and there's revelation happening. Did he not say to me, she's my sister, says Abimelech, 
And she even, she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Imagine this, a pagan king is pleading before a holy God and saying, I have integrity. I'm innocent. But what I want you to notice, God says to him in a dream, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. He's got integrity. This is a man, this is a pagan king that does not know God, and yet God speaks to him, and he speaks to God, and yet what God's confession is of Abimelech is, you're right, you do have integrity. You are innocent. Wow. I wish that as a, as a God-fearing man that I would be able to say that before the Lord and he would say that back to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. And yet, here's what he says. I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that she surely, that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so, who started the conflict here? Abraham is actually the one that started this conflict. He says, God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And yet Abraham, when he's not following simple precepts, when he's not loving God and fearing God above all else, he sins against God, he lies. But then number two, because of his lie before God, he also becomes a curse to his fellow man. When he doesn't walk in integrity, he sins against God, yes, but he also ends up sinning against man, and it ends up being a curse to Abimelech, who doesn't even know God at this point. And so Abraham is visiting a foreign kingdom in the land that his offspring will possess. And he lies to Abimelech. Now, it's a, it's a little white lie. It's a half lie. Because what we're going to find out is that he actually is the sister. She actually is his sister, but it's half-sister. They share a dad, but not a mother. And up until this point in the Bible, there's no prohibition against that. But they were already married when God got involved. But a half-truth is always a full lie. You can whitewash it, you can call it what it is, you can make excuses, but a lie is a lie. And one of the first Ten Commandments is, you shall not bear, be a false witness. And so, in Genesis 26, what we find out is that actually, Abraham had made a, a, a pattern of this in his life, and it's going to also have an impact on Isaac, his, his son. The son from him and Sarah will actually, in Genesis 26, do the same thing his father does. And so dads and moms, notice the patterns of sin in your life that you become comfortable with. We all have them, by the way. Some of them might be inherited. Uh, we, we learn them from our parents. And some of them, we might have started an old, an, a tradition of our own, we might call it. Unfortunately, what happens is that whether we intend it or not, our kids naturally pick up on the negative things, the sinful things, easier than they pick up on the, 
things that are a blessing, things that are in integrity-driven. And so all that to say, we want our children to walk in truth. We want to punish disobedience and discipline our children, but it has to start in us personally. If you don't punish the flesh, if you don't ask God to remove the sin in your own life, you will not be able to lead your family to walk in integrity. God won't allow it, and it won't happen. You'll be lying to yourself, and you'll be the parent, or you kids will one day be the leaders in your own household that will say, do as I say, not as I do. And that will embitter your children for generations. It's, it's something that I've struggled with. Do as I say, not as I do. But I will also say this, that in your sinfulness, God will use that embitterment to drive them to a Savior that's not you. So God's going to use it either way. You can walk in blessing. You can show them the, the fruit of an integrity-filled life. Or you can walk in disobedience to the Lord. And God will use that hypocrisy to drive you to the only person that's never been a hypocrite. And I know that because the day I realized that Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. Imitate me. Everything that I do, I do according to the will of the Father. I saw that and I was refreshed because I'd never seen it. But his disciples also, Paul the Apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me. That's a bold statement, by the way. A lot of people, a lot of Christians say, well, don't do what I say, follow Jesus. But Paul the Apostle said, hey, imitate me as I also am in the process of imitating Jesus Christ, my Savior. Jesus said, if anybody would follow me, he must first deny himself, deny his flesh, take up his cross, die to the sinful ways of the old, and then follow me. That's all part of the process, denying ourselves, dying to self, and then taking what's left and saying, I, the life I live now is no longer mine, but now I, I live to follow Jesus. And so all that to say, Isaac ends up following in Abraham's footsteps, and he becomes one that says, oh, she's my sister, because of the same fear of man. So he Notice this, Abraham gives up his wife to another foreign king. I cannot imagine giving my wife willingly to another man. Uh, woe unto me when I do that, if I do that. But he also misrepresents the God that he serves in doing this. But what I want you to notice more than anything is Abraham is making the decision based on fear. It's, it's an acceptable fear in many people's eyes. He's afraid of what man can do to him. By the way, making decisions, any decision, because you are afraid, is not good. Most of the decisions that are getting made in public life right now are based on fear. And so, be careful. Abraham's afraid of what man can do to him. And in Matthew chapter 10, here's what it says. Jesus says it best, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
And what we find is that in the meantime, Abimelech is going to make more decisions in this chapter than Abraham does because he fears who? He fears God. He doesn't fear his, his city. He's the king over a, an area. He doesn't fear Abraham. He doesn't even fear the opinion of Sarah. But God, here it says, warns Abimelech of the predicament that he's in. He says, hey, you are a dead man because you've taken another man's wife. Now, he's obviously not dead. He's still alive. So is God lying here? I would submit to you that God has rendered Abimelech and his wife unable to procreate at this point to protect Abraham and the line that he's going to produce through Isaac, but also to protect Abimelech from sinning against God. Notice that he takes Sarah into his harem, and that night he's not with her, he's sleeping. I don't know about you, but and maybe this is a stretch, but on Christmas morning, when you got the thing you've been excited about, did the first thing, first thing you did when you opened it, did you lay it aside and go, that's cool, I'm going to go take a nap? Or did you open it up and start going, okay, how am I going to use this? And, and, and did you start reading the instructions? Some of you didn't. Uh, but some of us are, are, you know, we read instructions and start playing with it. Like, it's exciting. It's your new toy. This might be a little PG-13, but a man who's just taken a woman into his harem typically has a lust problem, and he's not going to go, I'll see you later. He's going to go, hey, I got a new toy. I know that's rough to say, but that's the reality of a harem. That's the reality of a man who has multiple wives. He's feeding his flesh. He's, he's doing these things. And so notice what he does. He, he goes to bed and he's dreaming. Because God supernaturally made him uninterested, at least for a night, so that he wouldn't sin against him. Abimelech, in the integrity of his heart, didn't do anything with this woman, and he didn't know that he, she, but in the meantime, God was the one that kept him from sinning. And I can tell you for a fact, there are things in my life that I did not do before Jesus, but it wasn't because I didn't want to. By God's grace, he kept me from a lot of things that I don't have to overcome because of that. It wasn't because the integrity in this heart. It was because God kept me from sinning, and I'm grateful, absolutely grateful. So God warns Abimelech of the predicament that he's in. He listens to Abimelech's voice like a judge hears a trial. He acknowledges the integrity and the innocence of Abimelech's heart, at least in this instance. He reveals that he's the one who kept him from sin. I bet Abimelech was pretty grateful for that. And then he instructs him on how to move forward to reconcile this thing between him and Abraham. Abimelech fears what the Lord can do to him. And so we continue on in the passage in uh, verse 8. So Abimelech arose early in the morning. He called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. He hears from God. This is good leadership, by the way. He hears from God. He rises early and he tells all those who are subservient to him. God spoke to me. Here's what's going on currently. And then in verse 80, verse 9, excuse me, he told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. 
So he's taken the fear of the Lord and he's instilled it in his servants. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? He's rebuking the believer, the unbeliever rebuking the believer. What have you done to us? Did I do something to you? Have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You've sinned against me, Abraham. You've done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? What is your reasoning behind sinning against me? And Abraham said, because I thought. <laughs> How many decisions have you made in your life where instead of praying, instead of trusting the Lord, you thought? Maybe you're not like me, but I spend most of my time talking to myself. Now, I do. It's not out loud. I'm not wandering around in my house going, <laughs> trying to finish every argument I've ever lost. I do that at times. But what I'm talking about is what we do. Okay, so we're going to do something. You've never been here for this before. That audio-visual board. So, anyway. Whew. How do I bring it back in? All right. Because he thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Abraham's coming to this town with Abimelech. He thought, surely the fear of God's not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. Technically, she's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. But notice this. It came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place wherever we go. Say of me this, he's my brother. So what we find out about Abraham is that when he was early in his walk with the Lord, he set forth a protocol. Here's the protocol. If we ever come into this circumstance, because we're going to be wandering to God knows where, and he literally knows where, we're going to be wandering to these different towns, and we don't know the people there. And since you're so smoking hot, I don't want to get killed so that they steal my wife and kill me. Now, he's okay with them stealing his wife as long as he doesn't get killed, apparently. But in the midst of that, he says, this is the kindness that you'll do towards me. So this is something that he's led his wife to do over and over again. What our habit is going to be, Sarah, is that every time we come to a new town, I want you to start your relationships by lying to people. Don't tell them what's really going on, because I don't want to get killed. I don't want my character to be judged. I, maybe you wouldn't say, I don't want to be killed, but maybe you would have your family say certain things so you don't have to worry about experiencing the shame of something from your past. Let's not talk about this thing. Uh, let's not be honest about who we are. But here's the deal. In Christ, our most vulnerable, shameful things from our past, we don't have to hide them anymore. We don't have to be ashamed of them. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you lie, you're keeping yourself in continual bondage. You always have to wonder, wait a minute, who did I tell what lie? And let me tell you, that was my life before Christ. 
It started with grades, and it led to greater things, worse things. How's your grades? Oh, they're great. You know, like, how's your, what, are you doing, you know, what are you doing in your quiet time? What, what are you doing when nobody's looking? I, I don't want to talk about it. But I tell you what, when God exposed my sin, and I came to know that the Creator knew about it, and that He actually died to forgive me of those sins, I could then walk in the truth about it. And I no longer had to walk in shame because I'm forgiven. (laughs) Who cares what anybody else thinks? And then when I talk about it, it's never to glorify my sin. It's always to glorify God. And then I'm also reminded of the shame that comes from it. And I don't want to go there again because I don't want to talk about it again. I'm no longer afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. And, And I'm set free. And so... All that to say, Abraham has this past protocol that is continued on into his saved life that doesn't need to be there anymore because guess what? If they find out that that's his wife and they want to kill him and God allows it, it's going to be okay. And if they find out that she's his wife and they try to kill him, God's promised to protect him. God's promised to be his shield In his fortress, we don't have to protect ourselves anymore. God's promised to do it. And so all that to say, Abimelech says, what have you done to us? What did I do to you to deserve this? You've sinned against us, which has put us in danger of judgment. Why? And Abraham says, because I thought, because, and really what it comes down to is it's a breach in his trust in God. God's given him another opportunity to, instead of doing what he's always done, to do something new. I've always done this. That's why I did it. Have you ever found yourself saying that? Why did I fall into this sin again? Why did I transgress against God? I'm feeling the shame. Have you ever stopped and thought, it's because that I have always done this. Habits become part of what we do. It's default mode. And yet God says, you don't have to live that way anymore. It's a habit that continued from his own life, old life. So verse 13, excuse me, verse 14. So then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. All of a sudden, even though he doesn't respect necessarily Abraham, because he fears Abraham's God, he gets carte blanche. He's writing a blank check. Hey, by the way, uh, just so I can make sure we're good between me and God, I'm going to bless you in return for your curse against me. See my land. You can live wherever you want. You ever heard the the question, where does a 500-pound grizzly bear sit in your house? He sits anywhere he wants because you don't want him to kill you, right? Uh, So the next slide. Um, Yeah, he says, uh, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And then to Sarah. Notice he doesn't, he says one thing to Abraham, but then he speaks to Sarah. He says, Sarah, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you, and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. Notice that he says to Sarah, hey, I gave your brother 
A thousand pieces of silver. Can't believe you said that to me. It's like a little tongue-in-cheek. Like, hey, I've vindicated you to your brother. You lied to me too. That's why he says that. So he has this a little bit of uh, disrespect for these people. But again, he blesses them because he fears the Lord. So he restores Sarah. He blesses Abraham with riches and livestock. He gives them the right to dwell anywhere in the land. He does all this because he fears God. And Abraham, notice also, he's basically saying, hey, you know what? Your husband doesn't treat you like he's your husband. He treats you like he's your brother. And, and I don't know about you know, what you guys think about this, but my thought is, as men, we ought to hold our wives close to us and treat them in a way like Abimelech treated Sarah, not like Abraham was treating Sarah. To lead them with integrity, uh, to love them, to even be honoring to them, not to treat them like they're our brother or sister. If you ever notice that the person that you live with most of the time, it's easiest to, to treat them with a little less respect than you would somebody you don't see that much. Uh, it happens all the time, and it happens in most households. And I fall, uh, you know, sometimes in that area. So treat your wives like the Lord would treat your wives, with respect and dignity as the, as the weaker vessel. And Peter even writes that when you treat your wife in a way that's, that's kind of brash or harsh, instead of honoring them as the weaker vessel, God won't hear your prayers. That's a bummer. You know, like, so I, I think he's pretty serious about that. So <laughs> verse 17 Verse 17, so Abraham, as a result of this, prays to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so all of this, God still calls, look at that, back in verse 7. Notice what Abraham has done. He's lied He's misrepresented God before this non-believing man. And yet in verse 7, God says of Abraham, he says, Now therefore restore the man's wife, speaking to Abimelech, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. <laughs> even though Abraham is a mess, even though he's carried habits from his former life, God still calls him a prophet. You know what a prophet is? A prophet is what this microphone is to me. It takes what I say and it projects it so the audience can hear it. God's prophets are microphones. God speaks to them and the prophet speaks to his audience. And so in the same way, God speaks to Abraham and Abraham is then able to represent God, uh, to the people God's intentions. And he says, Abraham here is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. God's going to hear Abraham's prayer. Abraham's been blessed, and then he's going to become a blessing to the earth. And God hears Abraham's prayer for Abimelech's household, and he heals them. And in James chapter 5, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But my question for you is, are liars righteous men? Is Abraham a righteous man? Is God... God's word contradicting itself? How can God hear the righteous prayers of a man who is a liar? 
And what I would subject to you is that Abraham's righteousness is not a righteousness that he earns or deserves, but his righteousness is because of faith in the righteous one, just like we have available to us. Our righteousness is not something that we stack up and, and, and build up. It's, it's something that's given to us as a free gift. It's God's grace that makes us righteous. And so God chooses to hear the prayer, prayers of Abraham because Abraham has chosen to trust him. So just because you've fallen in the eyes of people around you, like Abraham in the, had in the eyes of Abimelech, does not mean that God can't still use you in their life. Maybe you've done enough things to burn somebody. Maybe it's your neighbor. <laughs> Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. They don't want to talk to you because of things you've done. Maybe it's wh whoever it might be in your life. You're like, no matter what I say to them, they won't hear me anymore because of this, this, and this. They won't forgive me. And of course they won't. They're unbelievers, perhaps. That doesn't mean that God can't use you to intercede for them. I think sometimes we, we overemphasize what we can do to impact other people's lives by what we say or do. And we underemphasize the impact we can have on them by going to our prayer closet and asking, Lord, would you bless them? Would you impact their life? Would you show them your goodness? Would you impart to them the grace that they need? Send somebody else to speak to them that they do respect. And at that point, you've had just as much impact, just not in the way that you think it'll happen. And so also, God will judge the godless in order pr to protect those that he has sworn to protect. God judges Abimelech, or at least warns them that he's going to judge them. Um, and God will also rebuke us who are supposed to know him through the mouth of unbelievers if that's what it takes. Have you ever been in a spot where you wonder, why am I not hearing from God? And then God speaks to you something you know to be true and stings a little bit, but he says it through somebody that doesn't know him. Guess what? He can speak through anybody. Uh, look at the book of Numbers. He spoke through a donkey. <laughs> look at this. He can even speak through me sometimes. And so all that to say, God will use whoever he wants in whatever manner he wants to reveal himself to whoever he pleases. And so a lot of information this morning, a lot of relational uh, tie-in this morning, but all that to say, I look at the life of Abram, I look at the life of Abraham, and I can't help but be encouraged because there are many weeks where I feel like, man, I nailed it. And there are more weeks where I feel like I'm Abraham interacting with Abimelech. I burn bridges, I lie, I try to protect myself, I don't trust the Lord. And what we find in this passage is that God's going to get his will done with failing people. All we have to do is come back again and say, Lord, I messed up. <laughs> Please let your love cover, mul cover a multitude of my failings, my sins, and help me to move forward and no longer make decisions based on fear, the fear of man, the fear of failing, the fear of sickness, the fear of death, the fear of losing my job, the fear of, mess, fear of messing up. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the life of Abraham. And I thank you once again that the Bible is honest, that the Holy Spirit is honest about the people that have sworn to follow Jesus and then have failed. 
Lord, count me in that number. Give me grace to move forward in faith and not in fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound judgment so that I can be an overcomer in the midst of circumstances that want to make me afraid of everything. Lord, in our walk with you, help us not to be so cautious that we're really just calling fear caution. Lord, help us to walk boldly in the claims and in the promises of God. Help us to no longer be afraid of the things that can kill the body, but help us to walk in faith, knowing that you can kill the body and the soul. Lord, help us to be uh, faithful in our generation. And I again pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here who doesn't know the grace of God, that would forgive a guy like Abraham sh who should know better. If there's anyone here who's not yet experienced the, the heart change that comes from surrendering to Jesus, the lover of our souls, then I pray, Father, that you would instill in them this morning the fact that you love them, that you're not mad at them, but you have a desire to redeem them, to buy them back from the years of shame and slavery to sin, and you want to make them new. And you want to walk through with them as they fumble and fail again and show them that your grace is enough to cover a multitude of sins. Lord, that we would see Jesus and that Jesus would do a work in our day in each one of our lives that we wouldn't believe if you told it to us right now. Do the impossible. Continue to make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.